This treason of Benedict Arnold is an event that occasions equal regret and mortification. But traitors are the growth of every country, and in a revolution of the present nature, it is more to be wondered at that the catalogue is so small than there have been found a few. The words of General George Washington. And this is The Guardians of the Republic. Hello, I'm Patrick Murray from the Monmouth University Poll, and my co-host is Ian Kahn from the TV series Turn, Washington Spies. On this episode of the podcast, we look at the challenges facing the Republic this week. Yep. We'll cover other news in our hot take segment and wrap with our Guardian of the Week discussion. There's also a little uh, new segment that we're adding to the end of the show, which will be exciting to hear. Please make sure to subscribe and give us a rating in your favorite podcast app. Patrick, as I said... The Republic has been challenged. Let's talk about how the Republic is being challenged this week. Well, I, this is the week. Um, <laughs> this is the Nader. So let's start with where we are right this second. Uh, we are recording this at noon Eastern time on Friday. Uh, so this is what we know right now, is that it does not look like there will be witnesses. Uh, L- Lamar Alexander on Thursday night uh, said that he had heard enough that the House had proven its case in the sense that Donald Trump did ask for a quid pro quo, Uh, that there's no need for any more fact witnesses for that. I I agree. He did it. Problem is, it's not impeachable. And there we're at an end. That's what he's saying. That's what he's he's saying, yes. That's not what you're saying. No. Um, But that is what he said. And and in a way, it's interesting. I was wondering, why did Lamar Alexander put himself in this situation where he was going to be, you know, he's now the the face of the lack of movement on the Republican side. If he knew that he wasn't going to vote, why did he even leave it open like this? Unlike all the rest of the the senators who just sort of went along for the ride. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, Lamar Alexander is uh, has an original 19th century uh, manuscript or, or, or first edition of a description of the Andrew Johnson impeachment, which he lent to another author who wrote uh, a recent book about impeachments, which has been sitting on Alexander's desk during this whole thing. So Alexander, who asked a question about impeachment, he asked, what is the nature of bipartisanship in past impeachments? He asked that question uh, in the trial. But obviously, he already knew the answer to that question. So, yeah. yeah I, but he, I just don't understand why he put the arrow on his chest. He's one of Mitch McConnell's closest friends. He's been his lieutenant through all of these years. Why would he put that? And then, here's, here's the, the backside of that for me, is that what he ended up doing last night is something that most senators are not going to do, which is actually admitting that the president did something wrong and saying it's just not impeachable. Right. You, you, you know what right, I'm saying? Right, just, right, because some, some senators are going to vote against impeachment specifically by saying he did nothing wrong. When I was doing the Benedict Arnold quote at the top, I had in my head Ben Sass, Ben Sass. And the reason for that is because Ben Sass pretended to know better. He came out with a book in mm-hmm. 2016 talking about the future of the country and the importance of the country. And what we've learned about Ben Sass now is that all he cares about is himself. He kept his mouth shut, his head down. And here's, I just want to bring up this one little point before we get into the specifics of the week. I say every single senator that is running for Senate that is on the Republican side, the Cory Gardner's, the the Tom Tillis's, 
It's going to end up 50-50, maybe 51-49. But it could be argued by all the Democratic senators that each one of these senators that refused to call for further witnesses and further documents are the bullet that helped to end the republic as we know it. Mm -hmm. And one can only hope that that will make a difference because this vote, the vote that they are taking, that they will take today, will be around their necks for the rest of their lives and into the future as history will record them. Right. Well, let's come back to that because there's a lot about what does the fact that there will be no witnesses really mean. Um, But let's go through the week because this is the week that uh, the president's team had to respond to the charges. Mm -hmm. And so we had heard only from his lead attorneys, Jay Sekulow and Pat Cipollone last week. And you and I had remarked in last week's episode how underwhelmed we were. By but we them. also gave them an incomplete for the week. Right, because we didn't know exactly what they were going to present. Um, I, I remain underwhelmed by the by the two of them. Uh, but of all the folks that stood up, at it, and there are a few that we I think we have to really talk about, but the one that I thought really did well and it was no surprise to me that he was the one that answered almost all of the questions that were posed by the senators to the president's team in the end was... Uh, Patrick Philbin, the de- deputy counsel uh, yeah. to the White House. Uh, a man a man of grace, unfortunately, uh, arguing the case that he's arguing, but just the simple way that he thanked the majority leader and thanked the senators for some of the challenging questions that came set a positive tone. He, he really did do a fine job um, in out of all of the lawyers on that side. I would agree with you. Philbin was, was the strongest. Yeah, I think, um, you know, his main job, because, you know, all the different members of the defense team had a different job that they were trying to shoot down. His job was on the second article, the article about contempt of Congress. And what he basically argued in a very lawyerly way, and which reminded me of the way that uh, Sylvia Garcia had argued her side about the means, motive, and uh, opportunity, which we talked about last week, a very lawyerly presentation that she gave, is that his side was that Donald Trump was not given the proper opportunity to commit contempt of Congress. <laughs> yeah. So even if, if, if contempt of Congress is a thing that you agree is impeachable, he wasn't given the opportunity to do it uh, because you the did House not, moved through it. House moved yeah. so so quickly through it. They did not. They did not call witnesses. They did not uh, uh, ask for the witnesses to uh, uh, be going go through the court system. Uh, they called the witnesses before the actual House process began, is their claim. And all things that, as I've said all along, all things that the House managers, the Democratic side in the House, could have dotted their I's and crossed their T's better on in order to shoot that kind of argument down. And he, yeah. I think his argument strong was because of that. Yeah, uh, uh, his argument is understandable. His argument is you you have to give a certain amount of uh, legitimacy to that argument. And he delivered it very strongly and uh you you are right i i I tend to agree with you let's let's uh, let's move on to to jay sekulow his point was he was shooting down what you've termed to be tribes law which was if it was such a dire emergency that the house had to race through all this didn't dot all their i's and t's why didn't then suddenly everything stop and they didn't send this over to us if every day that went by was a a a danger a threat to national security what happened. And I think that's a strong argument because in the end, we're not left with anything new that came out of that delay. 
Yeah. What do you think? No. Well, no. There are things that definitely came out of that delay from my perspective. Uh, I do, look, I said this on the show last week. I think that Nancy Pelosi waited a little too long to hand those articles over. I think the value of not handing them over before the break was strong. And a lot came out during that time. John Bolton came out and said that he was going to, that he would be willing to testify during that time. Not sending it over to the Senate at the, similar to 1998. The Republicans didn't send it over till after the Christmas break. I think that extra nine days was not helpful um it wasn't really going to change anything and it didn't uh but i i I can seculo has a point about that look he he has a point sure you can argue that point and senators are gonna the republican senators are gonna hold on to any point that they can at this point um as i said you know when i when i thought about this and after as we were going through it i i did not question i i had some questions about Nancy Pelosi's decision to do this, but I didn't question that she was thinking about this in the most strategic way for her party. I still believe that. I think in the end, though, it still wasn't a good move, but perhaps not, you know, putting them uh, through very quickly wasn't a good move either, uh, because we couldn't even have this debate about John Bolton if that hadn't have happened. And I guess that that's why. What I, what I think is basically that she made a decision that in the end really didn't provide any true benefit for her, but it was the best worst decision that she could make, if that makes any sense. I disagree. I disagree. It definitely provided some benefit for her. I think that she extended it beyond where it could have been a huge amount of benefit and became just partial benefit and did give Seculo this opportunity to speak to that. But I, I, that, no, no, I think the value of Bolton overrides any yeah, I still deficiency. Don't, I, don't, I don't know yet uh, about the value of Bolton. Obviously, the jury's out because... We won't know until something else happens, oh, and wait. then we can point to we can point back to, I, and we'll get. I think we'll come back to this. I think at the end when we talk about the, the, the patient, we talk about. I, I think part of this is what doesn't happen. How does that come back to bite, and and will that help the republic in the end? But I think in the short term, I don't think any of the choices that Nancy Pelosi had in front of her were good ones, um, and I do think that she made the best decision from a number of what in the end were not good choices actually i'm going to go back to something that you said uh, a while back and i i questioned you on i was like i'm not sure i agree with you on this but in retrospect i do agree with you which is this you said that you thought that the impeachment was too narrow you said that mm-hmm. it should have they should have brought in stuff from russia and from the uh, from the Mueller investigation and that all that should have played and i was like well i think they just want to keep it very narrow so it's very clear and this is what it's about however as we've watched over the course of these last 9 days of really exhausting i mean it's exhausting to watch there's plenty of there would have been plenty of time to talk about all this stuff because they just kept talking about the same stuff over and right. over again. It was very repetitive. There was plenty of time to go into some of these other issues. So I am going right. to tip my hat to you there, Patrick Murray. And I'm going to say I think you were right about that. I think that they should have brought it. And another thing that I think both of us agreed on was keep the impeachment open in the House longer. You know, we're so worried about not hurting the Democratic presidential right. candidates. Well, they really actually hurt them quite a bit. Right. <laughs> Keeping because, those senators there. Yeah, if they had uh, yes. taken it through to March or April, the story would have continued. The way that this calendar is is lining up for Donald Trump couldn't be much better. He's going to go on with Sean frickin' Hannity on Sunday and sort of take a victory lap and then do a victory lap at the State of the Union. Yeah, you took four leading presidential candidates, well, three leading presidential candidates off the trail in Iowa. Yeah. Right before Iowa votes. 
You don't it think that's like, going to have an impact on the on the outcome in Iowa? But the key wouldn't have been to hold the impeachment articles longer. The key would have been to run the impeachment in the House. Which is longer. what I said. Come yeah, up with Well, yeah. I think we both wait said that the, part. Wait for the tax returns. Wait for all these other yeah. things. And that gets back to the question. And this is, mm. let's, let's talk about Alan Dershowitz. Because this gets back to, the, to, to what this his This is the dangerous was, spot. Is that there's no crime alleged in these articles of impeachment. That uh, and we'll talk a little bit more specifically about what he says about abuse of power, but this is was my argument, and this was the question that Susan Collins asked uh, Hakeem Jeffries, which is a charge of a bribery was mentioned in the House Judiciary Committee report, yet you didn't charge with bribery, which is a clear impeachable offense. Why not? Why not if it wasn't there? Why not, you know, basically the question is, why not give them something real to hang their hats on? And did you see this? Because Jeffrey's really whiffed. He was unprepared yep. for this. He couldn't answer that question. And in fact, this is a Wednesday night. At, and at the end of Wednesday night, the very last question, it was Adam Schiff who, in answering another question, came back to it and had to, to basically cover for Jeffrey's flub there and his inability to answer it. And his answer was, well, we had abuse of power and abuse of power is more um, serious than just bribery. And we couldn't put two charges in one article of impeachment. Well, then why didn't you have another article of impeachment specifically? No, wait a minute, bribery? though. Wait a minute. The way I mean, his argument, talk- what I'm saying, his argument was weak that he said, okay. oh, we can't put two charges in one article. The way we're speaking about this right now suggests, for, to my ears, that you think that the Democrats, the House managers failed and the defense really succeeded in what they're doing. And I have a very different point of view about that. Because as Lamar Alexander said, the House managers absolutely proved this abuse of power. There's no question that they actually proved what right. has happened. It's not a question to me of the lawyerly success of the house managers versus the defense. That's not what's at question. What's at question when 75 to 80% of Americans want to see witnesses and more documents, the issue isn't the lawyers. The issue is the Republican senators who are putting their heads in the sand. But I'm saying the house managers whiffed because the whole impeachment process should have been left open with more charges about more things. Fair enough. Because this is what we come down to. Okay, maybe he abused his power, but what the, what the Republicans are arguing is, and I think Lamar Alexander is arguing, is that this was a one-off one event. And this, this is not a big deal because, okay, you, have, you caught him this one time doing this, but that's not a big deal. Presidents do things that are wrong all the time, and you can't impeach them for every little thing that they do wrong. And in fact, one of, I forget who it was, started, I think it was Dershowitz who started reading through the list of presidents who had been charged, yeah, it was. Been accused of abuse of power, starting with George Washington. Uh, we mentioned this about the Jay Treaty and going through the Alien Sedition Act and a whole host of other things with other presidents. But this was the whole thing, is that if you can just boil it down to this one call, this one issue, this one piece of legislation of the Ukraine aid, then it's just a one-off. And it gives the out rather than it being bribery, rather than being all these other things that you could have. So why wasn't there? This is what I'm saying is that why weren't there three articles of impeachment then? Why didn't you charge him with bribery asking for and which is hard to prove? I know why they didn't do it, because it's hard to prove that he actually uh, solicited a, a something of value for him personally by using his office to do that. 
and 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 then you can use the legal standard, which is beyond a reasonable doubt, which I don't think is a standard you should use in a court of impeachment, because in a court of impeachment, it should be, should be the preponderance of evidence, because this is the president of the United States we're talking about. This was the rationale for impeaching Bill Clinton. Okay, but at the same time, let's not let's not lose sight that we can say that the House, that Nancy Pelosi, that Schiff, Nadler, who I want to talk about in a minute because of his little shenanigans last night, um, that they, they didn't handle everything perfectly and they didn't do right. But that is not the lead story in the history books in 50 years. That's no. not what they're going to be discussing. The lead story is going to be Dershowitz's argument. So let's talk about what Dershowitz's main argument is, which is abuse of power is not a crime. There, <laughs> And, you know, he lists all these other presidents who face that accusation. But his argument was, if you do something like this, where you ask somebody to do something that's going to help your election, as an elected official, you naturally feel that your re-election is in the national interest. And therefore, you are acting in the national interest when you ask somebody or put pressure on somebody to do something that's going to help you get elected. That is the bottom of our that is the end of the republic that's the end of the republic right there and not only is it the end of the republic it also gives a complete green light from these republican senators to donald trump to do whatever it is that he wants to starting today he is going to do whatever he wants he's already gotten he's got pre-approval he's got complete immunity he can as long as you argue as long as you argue that I'm doing this to be reelected because my reelection is in the national interest and any elected official can do this. That, and that's what Dershowitz's argument was. Not just the president. Senators can do this. You remember- um, Mayors few, can do this. Yeah. Remember a few years ago, John Edwards, uh, Senator John Edwards, who had ran for president, he was on the ticket in 2004 mm-hmm. with John Kerry. Defra- he was guilty of defrauding an old lady of millions of dollars. Uh, the money that was got fed into one of his campaign accounts, I think, I believe. Well, if it was to help him stay in office, then defrauding that old woman was in the national interest, according to... Nothing wrong with that. According to Dershowitz's definition. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with it because of why he did it. How can you say something like that? It is amazing. According to Dershowitz, that doesn't apply to you and me. We can't get away with that. So in order to get away with that, you and I have to get elected to some office. Once we get elected to office, we got immunity according to Dershowitz. But is it just to be to hold, hold continue to hold elected office or could it be I'm running for elected office? Oh, yeah, well, I guess you could you know, there's a corollary corollary to Dershowitz's argument, right? Right. I right. mean, and because he, or Joe I'm Biden thinking isn't... I'm thinking of how about if I start an exploratory committee? Does that put me in the clear? Yeah, it does. And Joe Biden, I mean, someone I forget who David from he did something on Twitter yesterday that I thought was like I, I had thought numerous times to tweet out, which is I guess it's okay now for Joe Biden to call up President Xi uh, in China and say, if you find dirt on Jared Kushner and I'm elected president, I will get rid of all of the tariffs. I yeah. promise you that will get rid of all of the tariffs. Is that legal now? It is, that right? It is legal according to the Dershowitz rule. Now, I saw Governor uh, Senator Whitehouse last night who said that the, no one took seriously the Dershowitz uh, defense, that no senator on either side took seriously this idea, and that that's not what the Republicans are going to use um, to defend their vote. But it's Does, Will that make a difference, or no, it doesn't no, make any because difference? because it's out there now. It's out there as part of the official record of the president's defense. Yeah, they're not com- you're right. They're not coming out and saying this is 
wrong, that this is, we don't accept that. No. So President Trump, we know, will do what is good for him. Um, so we can expect to see a lot more of this. Let's move on to John Bolton just for a moment. Yeah. So let's talk. Yeah. Let's talk about the, the this gets back to the witness picture here. Right. So what does this all mean? Um, so it all surrounds really John Bolton and the, his book. And um, I came along with your theory from a few episodes ago, which is, you know, Joe, John Bolton has books to sell and there's information in those books that the White House could withhold but they can't withhold it if he reveals it in open testimony. Yeah. And so I, th- I came to your view that that probably is a large part of the, his motivation in agreeing to come forward. But having said that, there appears to be a lot of information that suggests that this is not just a one-off call, but this was a, a concerted effort on the president's part to uh, withhold this aid but also suggests that there were other similar incidences as well. The fact that the senators are voting against all of this coming out, how do you think this is going to affect things when all of this comes out in the next month, two months? March 17th is when John Bolton's book comes out. Does this just become, ah, well, that's old news at this point, or do you think that this stays vital and important? Because as you had your poll, which we'll get to later, your Monmouth University poll had it at 80%. And of all the polls that I saw, 80% your poll had, which was, you know, when I saw 75%, I was shocked. You had it all the way up to 80%. Does this absolutely boomerang against the Republicans where they go, how could you not have brought this information forward before you made this vote? Or is Donald Trump our king now and there's nothing to be done? Right. So let's let's take two pieces of this. Um, I think one... You and I agree that even if there were witnesses, Bolton and others were able to testify that the actual vote on impeachment wouldn't have shifted by more than a few senators. Meaning it, it, Trump, it's highly unlikely right. that the Trump, no matter right. what came out, that right, Trump right. would have okay. been. So, yes. so we Agreed. know that. So that, this wasn't about convicting Trump, the, the, the debate over witnesses. This was a, a debate over how much of the, of the record, how much of what happened will be on the record. Right. Um, and the while that, everyone's attention is right here. Also. Right. Exactly. So my thinking is if so, without these witnesses and this information is going to then come out in the Bolton book or in a Bolton interview or whatever, how will it affect? It depends on exactly what comes out. If it is simply just more things about that specific Ukraine issue then I don't think it's going to have much of an impact because I think mm-hmm. that's saturated. I think it's exactly where Lamar Alexander ended up is the people who believe that that is what happened and, and Trump abused his power will continue to believe it. And it's not going to convince anybody who doesn't believe it that that happened. Bolton needs to, Bolton or somebody else needs to come out with other information. Oh, he's the, got the, other information. There's about, no question about, about other it. things. Turkey. Need, right. Turkey. Turkey. We Russia. More, Russia. Um, I mean, tax returns. I keep coming back to this word, tax returns. Other information that comes out, <laughs> other information that comes out about uh, about, about Trump, Trump that might not necessarily have come out in this particular impeachment uh, trial, but because no witnesses at all were allowed in the impeachment trial, could then come back to boomerang on these Republican senators if it looks like then there, oh, there was a cover-up. You should have suspected that there was more information. You knew that there was more information out no, there, and you covered it up. Yeah. But if, it, if it's only about 
Ukraine. It's not going to be just about Ukraine. Well, I'm I'm just saying, I'm saying the hypothetical. If it is only about Ukraine, the stuff that comes out, or if it can be framed that way, then it will be seen as no harm. It it should have happened, but no harm, no foul. Agreed. It needs to be be on other issues. It's not going to be. And also, I don't think Lev Parnas is going anywhere. No. I think that Lev Parnas likes being on television yep. with his with his. And so does his lawyer, his neck. by the way. His lawyer is pretty good. Yeah. His lawyer, his lawyer, like just, he, he's like, he just sits there. His lawyer is like a, a, a rapid response team. Yeah, it's, it, he's stuff. he's strong. And he you could see that he he's like Avenatti light, which is not a bad thing. Uh, yeah. Because Avenatti strong is, is just a little too much alcohol. But Avenatti light, you know, there's some value to, to having him do that. Now I have another question. Does the house continue to subpoena people now do they go back to the drawing board and say well all right that didn't work and start you know doing oversight of the president i think if you if you do something that's too similar to this you it, mm-hmm. it looks like you're you're just you just keep you're on a fishing expedition you're looking for something like this like this abuse of power and it'll be dangerous actually but, and that'll be dangerous but the other thing is that the parallel uh, the parallel investigation into his finances, which has been going on all along, continues to roll along. It's an entirely different ball game, and I think if you turn up something like that, then that's a big deal. I don't think there there would be an impeachment out of it because of where we are in the calendar right now. Uh, but it's something that would at the least- investigations will do damage. Yeah. Again, we go back to this idea that if they had just kept that inquiry open longer. That that you may have gotten. It some could have done more damage. For example, if they had actually uh, subpoenaed Bolton multiple times under under the impeachment thing and let it drag out, and Bolton wants to sell his book and release it while it's going to have the main impact, at some point Bolton's going to show up in the house, right, to testify, and you have that all hanging out there for months. That is he is he what's he going to say? It's all going to start trickle out. That would have had more impact over these next few months. Bolton's going to show up in that house. Bolton's yeah. going to be subpoenaed in that house, and he's yeah. going to show up for what I said a while back. But I also think that he actually cares. He cares. He does not think that that King Trump is a worthy king for our nation and the way he moves forward. I'm going to, before we get to the patient, I'm going to write you a text. I'm going to read a text that I wrote to you. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in a real dark moment for me, I wrote, it is clear that the 50 senators care more about themselves than the republic for which General Washington stood and fought 244 years ago. They are voting for a king. This is the end of our republic. So now I ask, how is the patient? I think the patient at this point is brain dead because that's legally dead, but you still can't do the burial. And I know that sounds very dark and depressing, but I think it could be a positive Um, because guess what? Our founders really thought that this was a possibility at some point. They knew the history of republics. They had knew the history of Roman republics, Greek republics, republics throughout the ages. And they knew that they eventually would fall prey to this kind of thing where an authoritarian would come in and there would be this cult and this personality and it would undermine the principles of the republic. Which simply means that we have the wherewithal to figure out what our new republic should look like. But I don't think uh, I don't think that this one, the one that we we've known and, and were raised in our civics lessons when we had civics lessons, to believe that this is how checks and balances work in our constitution, that doesn't exist right now. No, um, I retitled our show to Guardians of the New Republic. Now, we're not going to retitle the show. 
We're going to keep it Guardians of the Republic. But it, it was so uh, heartbreaking last night. And there's so I was trying to look for the upside because you, you had said to me that you thought of it as brain dead. And I, I it, it was heart, heartbreaking to hear you say that. And um, heart, brain dead is worse than dead. Because brain yeah. dead is still alive. Yeah, because you can't get closure. You can't get closure and move on to your next phase. That's the problem. But I've said for a number of years, ever since I played George Washington, I would say to a lot of politicians, and they love this line. I remember Cory Booker, when, uh, when you and I had lunch with Cory Booker, um, we, uh, I said to him, I said, what we need now is a new generation of founding mothers and founding fathers, right? Mm-hmm. And he got very excited about that line. He's like, can I use that line? I said, No. That's my line. <laughs> sorry, Corey. No, sorry, sorry, Senator. Uh, this was before he was running for president, even. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what's called for now: is the birth of a new republic, uh, and like a phoenix rising from the ashes is what is needed because our republic is uh, the the old republic is gone. And yeah. in, in a way, it it seems so dramatic to say that. So, and I said to you last night, I said, "How am I going to tell people the republic is gone? Like they're not going to want to listen to the show." <laughs> but here's the here's the here's the rub and here's the optimism here's the sun shining it's that old theory of one door closes and another door opens like you said this is an old republic 244 years it's been around there are changes there are things that need to be adjusted and we're going to be called upon and things are going to get worse before they get better but they do have the potential to eventually get better the 2020 election now is going to be a lot harder for the Democrats because there's going to be open cheating on behalf of President Trump. He's going to cheat now in a way that he had to hide it before. Well, now he doesn't need to hide it because it's in the national interest that he is reelected. So we're going to see interference from everywhere. We may see votes changed. Um, but this 2020 election is is so very, very... Uh, crucial. It is literally, as they've been saying, this is the most important election in your lifetime. This is the most important election of your lifetime. This is the most important election of our lifetime. Yeah. And uh-huh. as guardians of the Republic, we all, we all need to step up and uh, find a way to help build a new yeah, Republic. Yeah, the, the outcome of this election will simply just help dictate the timeline for our transition. You know, if, if President Trump wins re-election, that's one timeline. If uh, Bernie Sanders is the nominee and he wins, that's a different timeline. If Joe Biden is the nominee and he wins, that's a different timeline altogether. But these timelines are all converging on you can't go back again and we need to look at something new. And one of the things that we should take solace from is that our, the founders, the framers, the, the folks who wrote this Constitution did not think it was going to be around for 250 years. They couldn't imagine how that would happen. They would think that people would have to come together every so often and said, wow, things have really changed. Uh, you know, our times around here, the context has changed. We need a different constitution. We need to write this a little differently. So we are still the guardians of the Republic. The Republic are our ideals. I mean, you got to remember when America created this um, out of our war for independence and, and the constitution itself, it was amazing that we were able to pull that together unheard of we still have that in our dna that's in our national dna and it still exists okay on that note um before we turn to our hot take segment which is always fun uh let's check in with the number one pollster in america that's you patrick Murray. um <laughs> let's check in on the latest polls what do you have in the polling and what what's interesting about it this week 
Well, other than what's going on with impeachment, and, uh, and there really aren't any impeachment polls that we can point to right now because we're in the midst of the trial. We don't know how it's going to end up, and we'll be polling after that. But Iowa. I'm excited to see those polls, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Good, good. Uh, Iowa is uh, Monday night, the Iowa caucuses. And uh, so we are looking at a bunch of polls. So Mammoth put out its final poll uh, this week where we had uh, Joe Biden uh, at... Uh, up just by a, a couple points, 23% to 21% for Bernie Sanders. We had Buttigieg and Warren in the teens, Amy Klobuchar at 10%. Other polls have Biden in the lead, but some other polls still have Bernie Sanders in the lead. The thing that you have to understand with Iowa in polling Iowa versus polling any other election, whether it's a primary election, which are very difficult, and or a general election, which are even easier than or, easier than, uh, or more predictable then primary elections, caucuses, and particularly the Iowa caucus are really just a crapshoot. And that's because there are a million eligible voters, but maybe at most 250, 275,000 will show up, but it could be as low as 175,000. Um, and the differences in who shows up, it could be a difference of 10,000, 15,000 people could change who actually wins in a race like this. And that's why Bernie Sanders is saying, hey, I'm counting on getting more of those young activist voters out, the kind of voters who come out in a caucus. What Joe Biden's counting on and why he's leading uh, or doing well in, in my poll is he's counting on the kind of voter who's a traditional Democrat, an older Democrat, who comes out and votes in primary elections but doesn't come out and vote in caucuses because in caucuses, it's, 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 it's a pain in the neck. You gotta, you, you know, you could be sitting home watching Jeopardy or you can be in a caucus room for uh, two hours uh, dealing with that nonsense. And a lot of those traditional older Democratic voters don't want to do that. I have a feeling that this year is going to be different for them because of the existential threat of Trump to them as Democrats. Yeah. And they come out and they're going to side with, with Biden. Now, the uh, the kicker in this, or, or, or the or the thing that we don't know about the wild card, is Amy Klobuchar, because in each precinct, you only get delegates coming out of that precinct if you get 15% of the voters in that precinct to side with you. Amy Klobuchar is on the fence with that. If her group in that precinct doesn't get 15% of those voters, they got to go someplace else. Well, in our poll, suggests that that more of them are going to go to Biden than anywhere else. So if she's at 15%, it takes votes away from Biden. If she's under 15%, Biden gets a boost. So this is why Iowa is really unpredictable. It's an interesting place. It's an interesting place. So prepare and for you, anything. Look at all the polls, but all the polls are telling you one story, which is prepare for anything. And, you know, Elizabeth Warren has really struggled, and she, she's losing support to Bernie Sanders, uh, largely to Bernie Sanders, uh, in all sorts of polls. If... Elizabeth Warren doesn't make it to 15%, then Bernie Sanders is going to be the recipient of many of those votes, right. one would one would expect. So, you know, there was one uh, poll that I looked at, and I sort of added up Klobuchar, uh, Buttigieg, Biden, and then I added up um, Warren and Sanders, and it came out to 58% for the centrists and 42% for the far left. And so it, it almost struck me, I think that was a national poll, actually, and Bloomberg was a was part of that. Mm -hmm. And it struck me, it's like, we're going to find out who's going to win this primary based on who gets out first. 
You know, if Warren, if Warren says, hey, you know what? I'm not going to win. I'm going to get out. I'm going to throw all my support behind Bernie. But Bloomberg still stays in. Biden stays in. Klobuchar stays in. That's going to be tough. That's going to be tough yeah. to, to. She doesn't Sanders. even have to throw. If she gets out, she doesn't even have to throw her support behind Bernie. Yeah. It's the question. No. Is, you know, where, her, where does her supporters naturally go? You have one, you know, icon of the left and a bunch of centrists in there. Yeah, it's going to. Um, it's going to give Sanders a, a an absolute leg up, and, and yeah. you know Buttigieg, he's really struggled lately. There was a, a moment Biden took a little shot at him this morning on Good Morning America. Uh, Biden said that uh, Pete Buttigieg was trying. No, uh, George Stephanopoulos said to Biden, "Pete Buttigieg is trying to show a contrast with you," and Biden said, "Yeah, that's probably a good idea." And I was like, "Wow, look at you, Joe! You're just taking Mayor Pete and throwing him to the side." So. Uh, you know, we'll see. It's it's an interesting time, and by next week, we will have some answers. How many days after Iowa is New Hampshire? Is it a week? Yeah, a week and a day. It's week the and follow, a day. following Tuesday. Okay, so next week's show is, is going to yeah. be chopped and, 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 and there's a debate on Friday night in New Hampshire. In between, yeah. in New Hampshire. Right, all right. Well, Klobuchar says she's going to be sticking around no matter what. She says she has her ticket out of Iowa already. Yeah, well, uh, well, she doesn't until she she does. <laughs> she doesn't until she does. All right. Well, let's move on to our hot take segment. Uh, this is where we'll have 90 seconds to discuss a topic in the news. And when you hear this sound, it's time to move on to the next topic. Um, so, Patrick, here's our first one. Today is, as we've discussed before, it is Brexit Day. Yes. Uh, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, we talked about Brexit in a, in a week or two. So today, January 31st, the day that uh, Britain leaves... Uh, the European Union. Um, don't know. Uh, it, it could be a positive, could be a negative uh, for Britain. Uh, a lot of things still have not been decided in terms of their continuing uh, relationship with Europe, uh, their customs uh, regime, which is, you know, what do you do with the border between Northern Ireland and the Republic mm-hmm. of Ireland? Well, and what about Scotland? Across? And what then, as, Scotland? as we said, Scotland is using this as a push for a second independence referendum. Uh, and that push is going to continue. Uh, there's a mix of feeling. One thing I saw in, in, in the UK is that a lot of Brits were looking for a Europe, to get a European passport over the past uh, week or two. Uh, so that they have options uh, beyond this. Um, it's it's going to be topsy-turvy over there. What do you think? Oh, I, well, here's what I think. I related. There's something astrologically about this day. This is the day, January 31st, 2020, where nations are shaking. You have Britain leaving the European Union, and on the exact same day, think about this, on the very same day, Donald Trump is most likely going to be acquitted by the Senate of impeachment. These are huge events, historical events that will be written about if we have society and talked about for generations, and they're both happening on the exact same day. I I think that is noteworthy. Yeah. Yeah, so so speaking about uh, the impeachment uh, process itself, the trial itself, how do you think uh, Joe Biden is coming out of this, uh, considering that he was a central part of this? Isn't that interesting? Well, it's not interesting. It's the reason that that Donald Trump went after him is because Joe Biden is going to beat him like a drum. And he keeps coming back to this uh, about how it is further proof that I am the person that Donald Trump is most afraid of facing. I think there's actually a lot of truth to that. You saw Joni Ernst, uh, the senator from Iowa, came out and and said it as, as well. So maybe the voters in... In Iowa, we'll hear this about Joe Biden. So, and my question is, so, okay, so 
Yeah, hey. so it is about Joe Biden. You know what? If Joni Ernst, Joni Ernst said that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a prediction that that's actually going to move people towards Biden. Yeah. That it's going to say, well, if this is who you're most afraid of, and you're doing all of this just to take, to make Hunter Biden into an example and Joe Biden and hurt his prospects of being the, yeah. the next president of the United States, well, maybe I should be voting for Joe Biden if that's what you're most afraid of. Yeah, she wasn't the only one who did that or said that, something like that. And I've had the same feeling is that I think you could be driving Democrats to Joe Biden with that kind of appeal by saying, oh, yeah, maybe he is the strongest candidate against Donald Trump. I also want to throw one more thing about Biden. You know, this whole stuttering thing that he's got going on, the fact that they've brought this, that he brought this so far, there was an ad that came out saying, when I was younger, I used to get bullied by people like Donald Trump because of my stutter. Mm -hmm. And we've got to stand up to these bullies like Donald Trump. It's funny because before, when he would get into his moment of stuttering, it would be like, oh, Joe, come on, pull it together. But now, somehow, at least for me, when I see him do that, it's like, oh, yeah, man, that's kind of who you are. Yeah. You know, give it your best. All right, let's move on now to the Israeli peace plan and Bernie Sanders. I I have a thought about that. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, the Israeli peace plan... um, it's, it's not clear whether that it's actually going to work or not. I mean, this, these are another one of these Donald Trump things where you're not sure. But, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders has weighed in on it. And I know you were thinking specifically of that angle of it. Yeah. Also, I, I'm, I have a close friend uh, who is an ambassador from the Middle East. Um, or he works in the, for the ambassador of one of the Middle Eastern countries. And I had a long talk with him about Israel recently, and he really was sort of breaking things down for me. And, and I was looking at it from a slightly different perspective. And I saw him and I asked him, I said, I realized because his wife is a huge Bernie supporter, even though she doesn't vote. She's from, you know, obviously from another country. And she always talks about Bernie. and, and but, but Bernie really is, of all of the presidential candidates, is the only one that sort of goes along with most of the world in looking at the Israeli-Palestinian situation. Now, I'm not casting any, I'm not casting any judgment personally on this. I'm just noting that Bernie Sanders sort of is taking, you know, Kig Abdullah from Jordan came out and spoke and said it's absolutely unacceptable. Now, I'm not so deep on what this new Middle East peace process might look like, but one might argue that just the fact that it's Trump and Netanyahu putting it together, Trump proposed it, and Netanyahu gets right on board, one has to suggest or, or think that this is not necessarily something that's going to be able to go the you know the full Monty. It's it's not going to be adopted by the rest of the world. Yeah, I think so. I think it's a, a little too um, extreme for the. It doesn't give the Palestinians enough for for what the rest of the world thinks. Yeah, you know they should have a say in. All right, let's uh, move on to uh, you know we talked a little bit about you know who the nominee is and how this the fact that there's no witnesses in this trial will play out what do you think what do you think well november how this impacts going to impact i mentioned that about i mentioned about each one of the senators have have they've got a little they've got a little cudgel that they can use against their opponent but charlie sykes last night it was really late it was like 12 30 at night and uh, i was watching brian williams and was interviewing charlie sykes and charlie sykes is a real never trumper he now is the editor i believe of the bulwark uh which is the uh, website that was started with with bill Crystal. Um, and Charlie Sykes is a former Republican, former real strong conservative. And he came out and he said, there is no way. He said, the Senate is absolutely in play now and the Republicans are going to lose. And the reason they're going to lose is because Americans are never going to forget that they all asked for witnesses. And they said that there must be witnesses and the Republican Senate refused them. 
And as a Republican, it was his, you know, as a former Republican, I don't know what he calls himself, that this is just not something that you're, they're ever going to be able to slide yeah. by. And I, I went, wow. I mean, he has a POV that's his POV, without question. As, as I said earlier, I, I think it just depends on what we learn in the, in the meantime that suggests that there was other information that these senators should have been aware of and know that would have come out and that they, 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 there had to be a motivation for them to cover that up. So it needs to be different type of information that comes out. And then I, then I would agree. What would, would have happened? What would have happened if they did bring the witnesses? Let's just say, I mean, we agree yeah. that they weren't going to remove Trump, but what would have happened if Bolton did come out and testify in front of everybody? Don't know. Don't know unless until we hear what he has to say, which we will hear eventually. Yeah. I, All right, know. let's move on to our guardian of the week. Um, this week, we, we have a number of people that we're uh, sort of interested in. Uh, I think that we agree on three three uh, different guardians of the week yeah and i think it's because of this whole concept of you know the new republic and what, what are our norms of behavior uh one that i want to start with uh, i want to start with john roberts and sure. um you know not an an unenviable role that he had to play here but i thought his shining moment in all of this was when he refused to read Rand paul's question uh senator Rand paul sent him a question Sends it up. John Roberts reads it, looks at it, puts it down and says, the chair declines to read the question as written. (laughs) Turns out that the question included the name of the whistleblower. So good yeah. for good on John Roberts for that. Really good on John Roberts, and and John Roberts to me gets a pass, and and actually yeah, gets Guardian of the Week this week. He he did his job. I think a lot of what we've seen from John Roberts is uh, over the past year, uh, particularly since the appointment of Kavanaugh, is that he really is looking at faith in the institutions and trying to do yeah. his best. Yeah. Now there are going to be some people who who will argue that he wasn't that he should have been more involved. I, I've seen that actually, and I can I can understand that point of view, uh, but that's not my point of view. I, I I respected Roberts. I remember when he was nominated by George Bush and thinking this young guy who people seem to like, but gosh, he's gonna he's George Bush's nominee and he's gonna be the he's gonna be the head of the of the Supreme Court forever. And then when he uh, when he swore in Obama, he he flubbed it you know like i'm like ah this guy but no john roberts is a is a is a real american um and a guardian of this week next we have uh the lincoln project you wanted to mention yeah i mean the lincoln project for people who haven't heard about it these are a bunch of um republican former republican consultants who have worked on presidential campaigns uh, rick wilson john weaver i you know the, there's a the steven schmidt i think steven is part of this steve schmidt right Uh, are part of this. And their project is, hey, we are the party of Lincoln, not the party of Trump. And we have some ideals that we need to live by regardless of who wins or loses specific elections. And I think it's people like this that are going to help us build the new republic. Yeah, we also have to add into this group that if we're going to talk about the Lincoln Project and tip our hat, we I I want to tip our hat to the Republicans for the Rule of Law, which is Bill Crystal's group that has been doing this for over for maybe two years now. Uh, has a new ad out this week about President Pence, which I, I, I you know, I do that a little bit too, because it's like, uh, Pence, I'm not sure about all that. But they're saying, hey, he's better than Trump. It's a better alternative. Yeah, yeah um, and I think, I, I think what's good about that, I mean, you're, you're talking about Bill Crystal's group. These are, these are a lot of um, high thinkers. 
uh, people that we think of are, you know, or are conservative commentators. The Lincoln Project brings to the table people who, whose job all along has been simply a strategist to elect Republicans, not to think about the values of their party. And when, so when you, start bringing, yeah, when you start bringing those people in and saying, guess what, it is about values and it isn't about winning the next election from people who say it's always about winning the next election, then you know you're on to something. Okay, uh, last one, and I propose this, is Mitt Romney. Look, one would have hoped that Romney could have come out officially two days ago and said that he was going to vote for witnesses, but Romney did not disappoint. Um, him coming out and saying, I do want to see John Bolton, I do want to hear from John Bolton, and then actually voting now and saying that he's for the votes, it's it's a... Uh, you know, tip of the cap to Mitt Romney. He's he's doing right by his country. Yeah, you know, there were, I don't remember what the final count was on the number of questions, 170, 180, somewhere about that, the number of questions that were asked during the question and answer period. You know, Mitt Romney was one of the few who did not throw softballs at their own team. Uh, you know, he asked a question. Uh, yeah, and you, I, you pointed it out, right? That, yeah, I, 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 I typed it out because I was like, okay, what is he saying here? And he, this was the question, if I may, on what date exactly did Trump withhold aid to Ukraine? And did he explain why at that time? That's a good question from the Republican yeah. side. That's a guardian question. That's a, yeah. we, we've got to look deeper. It'll be interesting to see how Mitt Romney's life goes. Because what happened was he got assassinated on television, not assassinated, thankfully, but on television by Sean Hannity on, I think it was third, uh, Wednesday night. And it was a signal to all other Republicans. It's not going to change anything for Romney, but this is what it's going to look like if you go against the president. Your head will legitimately be on a television pike. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to this new topic. I'm very excited about this. I just this past week did ML, the MLB Network show with Brian Kenny and John Hart. And it was a one-hour show. And at the end, you give your final thought, which is just like, you know, you have 30 seconds left. Give your final thought. And I gave my final thought. It was actually, I used the Derek Jeter uh, because I was like, <laughs> hey, I, I have something to say. So we're going to add a little final thought to the show. And so, Patrick, this week, you're going to give our final thought. And what would your final thought be? My final thought was Bloomberg greeting the dog. Uh, if you've okay. seen this video, you've seen the video. Yeah, yeah. So it's. Uh, I've seen yeah. the video, and as soon as I saw it, I'm, I'm on the other. I was on the other side of this until you set me straight. When I saw this video, I thought it was a disaster. A friend of mine texted me, said that's the end of Bloomberg's campaign right there. But you have a different thought. Yeah. So uh, Bloomberg was greeting people, and some guy had a dog there, and so he shakes the guy's hand, and then he goes over to basically shakes the dog's muzzle. He grabs the dog from the top of the muzzle and puts it around the top of the mouth and into the, his fingers into the dog's mouth. Kind of gives it a, uh, his, the dog a little, <laughs> a little wiggle. And everybody thought, oh, he's shaking the, you know, because he doesn't understand anything else. He's trying to shake the dog's hand. But that dog to me looked like an Australian sheepdog uh, or Australian cattle dog. Uh, I've had border collies uh, my entire adult life. They're, they're also herding dogs. And if you've had a herding dog like that, they communicate with their mouth like that. They actually love when you do that to them, when you grab them by the top of their, their snout like that. That's a communication thing for them, back and forth. It's how they, they herd, they, they communicate with their sheep or whatever that they're doing is they, they get on top of them with their mouth. Um, I think that to, to me, that was like, okay, Bloomberg, I'm in with you. You, you know, you understand dogs. And then after that, uh, because cause he was catching a lot of flack for this, he, his campaign the next day released an ad, which was all these dogs uh, endorsing Bloomberg which I thought was, just it was great. great. The was ad great. was great, but only on Guardians of the Republic will you get that information. That what everyone else thought was a a, a goof by Bloomberg was actually a win. Yeah. Really? 
I okay. think so. I think so. And, right. and, and hey, look, let's look, look to the dogs. If we're going to build this new republic, dogs are good, <laughs> okay. as good a place to start as any. All right. All right. All right. So that's it for this week's edition of Guardian of the Republic. If you have any suggestions for a Guardian of the Week or a final thought or anything else, please reach out to us on Twitter at GuardiansOTR. And please make sure to subscribe to get the latest episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And please give us a rating and tell your friends about us so others can find us. Also, check out our website at guardians-republic.com. Thanks for joining us, and we will be back with a new post-trial episode next week. And post-Iowa. See ya. See ya.